This is Howard Anderson of Information Security Media Group. We're talking today with attorney Jerry Hinckley, who is co-chair of the healthcare industry team at Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman in San Francisco. Thanks for joining us today, Jerry. Glad to be with you. Under the High Tech Act's breach notification rule, healthcare organizations must report breaches affecting more than 500 individuals to the media and to federal regulators, in addition to the consumers themselves. Please walk us through, step by step, what should be included in an organization's breach notification plan to comply with the high-tech requirement, and who should handle what responsibilities? Just to clarify your intro, uh, the breach notification rule applies to any number of affected individuals, but when it's 500 or more, you do have to notify the media. Um, so it, it, it doesn't. There's not a 500 plateau it's it's that's just it gets more onerous when you get to larger numbers so what what about these plans well you know we're advising our clients generally speaking uh to have a plan in place because we don't think it's a good idea to start thinking about the steps that need to be taken uh once you have a breach having said that though um really the work that we have been doing since the uh, breach notification rules came into effect uh, on, in February of this year is dealing with companies that haven't given it a thought. And so eventually I think that people will have policies and it's a, it's a better better uh, practice certainly to do that, but it isn't certainly, you know, everybody hasn't jumped on this as job one, which, you know, which I guess is just understandable. Uh, anyway, kind of the major elements of a policy related to breach um notification um, is to um, you really have to focus on kind of four things one is technology uh, you know to make sure that there are t- uh, technical technological measures to ensure that uh, all of, of the protected health information in your custody um, is secure um, and uh, to the extent that it is not secure uh, that to have mechanisms to uh, detect uh, when uh, a, a breach has occurred some of the second big piece is that someone needs to show leadership with respect to the policy development and either take responsibility or establish responsibility, and we can talk about that a little bit more. Also, you know, there is a role uh, for your legal counsel in in developing these to make certain that, you know, you are legally compliant and that you have mechanisms in place to take advantage of attorney-client privilege where that's appropriate. Um, And then kind of the fourth element is, to reconcile the federal requirements with any uh, state requirements uh, that may be in addition or or different from the federal requirements. And that's certainly the case in California. Uh, we have our own uh, data breach law that is entirely different from what um, HIPAA requires. And, and so you've got to, you have to comply with both. The state law is not preempted by the federal. And so kind of what are the, you know, the, the basic elements for a policy, um, one is, uh, do you need to, processes for discovering breaches? Um, you need to develop uh, procedures and forms for reporting as required. And uh, you need mechanisms for determining if the uh, data breach or the release of, unauthorized release of information rather, poses a risk of uh, significant harm to the affected individuals uh, because that's that, that's kind of the, the uh, the the big question that has to be answered and and I'll get to that I think a little bit later, but you need mechanisms for determining you know if unsecured uh, protected health information was involved who the individuals were affected and and what the applicable notification requirements are, 
Um, and then uh, you also need processes for determining appropriate mitigation, uh, developing advice to the affected individuals, creating and distributing notices, uh, determining and creating other forms of communication that are, are maybe required, uh, particularly if you have uh, you have to notify the press. Uh, that that typically is not just one communication with the press, but there will be, you know, once you you advise them, then there will be follow-up communications, and having a plan for those communications is important. Um, you also have to have an accounting process for uh, keeping track of how you carried out the notification. Um, uh, particularly the reporting that's required to the Secretary of HHS. So who should be responsible? Well, in a large setting, uh, HIPAA requires, uh, well, it, it really every every covered entity to have a privacy officer, and it would be logically that individual's um, responsibility to see that a plan is uh, is, is implemented and then to, uh, to carry it out. Um, and, uh, you know, in smaller settings, you know, it tends to fall to kind of the senior administrative person um, in a one-person office that it's very obvious who that is, but somebody in the policy needs to be designated as having overall responsibility for, for carrying this out. How should a breach notification plan differ based on the size of the organization, uh, a large academic medical center versus, say, a three-physician practice? I mean, the plan's going to have a different nature based on the size? Oh no, absolutely. And you know, HIPAA is intended to be scalable. So built in, really baked into the law and the regulations is the idea that you should do what's appropriate for the the size and type of organization that you have. So, for example, in a small setting, you know, it would be appropriate, I think, to have a a less formal process. And in many cases, particularly in the smaller settings that we've been involved in since uh, February, uh, there is a, a a tendency to utilize a vendor, and there are a number of vendors who who run breach notification programs, and that seems to me to make a lot of sense for a, a smaller setting. We, we're working with a an ophthalmic practice that had a breach of 50,000 records, and providing notification to 50,000 individuals is an overwhelming task for this group, and so they they, on our advice, went to a vendor. In larger settings, they're probably going to be in a, in a position where they could administer uh, the breach notification themselves, and that, that may be more logical, although I think that there is a real a niche here for vendors in this regard because uh, having everybody have to figure out all the nuances of the law for something that you know we're expecting is going to be a, a you know a isolated incidents, you know, just may not be good a good use of time. And so, um, you know, looking to have somebody help you one get policies in place, and two um, assist you in implementing if if there's a breach notification probably makes sense, particularly in, in the smaller settings. The breach notification rule allows healthcare organizations to determine whether a particular data security breach presents, quote, significant risk, unquote, and thus needs to be reported. As a result of this harm threshold provision, should healthcare organizations create a risk analysis process to help them determine what breaches to report? Oh, absolutely. You know, we've worked with a number of organizations to develop this algorithm, and I think there's some that you can get to for free on the web, but you, you know the the definition of breach in the law and the regulations uh, requires that that the determ- a determination that there is a significant risk of harm uh, to the affected individuals. You know this is a controversial part of the of the regulation um, 
a number of people have predicted that it's not going to stay. Um, I know uh, Congressman Waxman, for example, was quite upset that this was included in the regulation and felt that HHS had gone way beyond the authority that was given to them uh, for rulemaking um, in high tech. So, um, you know, and I personally think that, you know, if you have a, a, a an unauthorized disclosure of protected health information, that the, the consumer should be making the decision whether there's a substantial risk of harm, not the not the uh, breaching party, because you know there's a there's already a built-in prejudice to 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 find no significant harm. So I, I think it's, you know from the standpoint of consumers, um, you know I'm I'm not a big fan of of that requirement, and I'm actually hopeful that it does go. Um, you know the politics around that are pretty rife though, and so I you know I may not get my way on that one. So at least for the time being, uh, until the, the there are some regs that are currently sitting in OMB that you know could come out any day now, and uh, there's a, a high likelihood that they they will revisit breach notification there based on the comments that have been received. How should an organization go about analyzing why a breach occurred, and what steps should be taken to prevent further incidents? Well, this is a really key part of any kind of compliance effort. Is uh, is developing learnings from past experiences and training with respect to them. Uh, so it's, this is really a, co- a cornerstone of any uh, compliance plan. Um, and certainly in the breach notification area, you know, if you've had a, a situation where information has been uh, disclosed that is not authorized, putting a, a finger in that dike is is really a critical step. Uh, but more than that is then learning from it and uh, and raising your consciousness uh, about how breaches can occur. If you have one incident, you know it, it's a good opportunity to kind of rethink your policy to, and your operational plan and see, you know, well, you know, are we are we doing what we need to do in order to prevent these kinds of things happening happening in the future? So that you know, I think of all the all the elements of the plan, learning from from your mistakes is is really is really key. The breach notification rule includes a safe harbor which exempts organizations from reporting breaches if the information was encrypted in a specific way. So how should hospitals, clinics, and others apply encryption? HHS was was uh, directed in high tech to uh, publish on a regular basis standards for what constitutes protected health information. If the information is protected, uh, then then that's an element of, of, of the determination of breach. And so protected health information can't be breached. So, for example, um, you know, there are a number of NIST uh, standards that have been published uh, that were recognized by HHS. Also, if the, uh, if the information is in a limited data set, which is a defined term under HIPAA, uh, which is otherwise protected health information that has uh, really virtually all the personal indicators removed that if it is a limited data set, regardless of whether it's encrypted, that uh, cannot be breached as well. And the expectation is that as technology moves forward, you know, HHS will continue to recognize other ways that uh, information is going to be uh, found or held to be protected so that that if there is an unauthorized dis- uh, disclosure, um, it wouldn't give rise to notification because the information actually isn't isn't useful to identify an individual. So should organizations be applying uh, encryption to 
mobile devices and email? Yeah, I mean, HIPAA does not require that, you know, as uh, per se, so that, uh, you know, you don't have to have an encrypted uh, communication between doctor-patient. However, if there's an unauthorized disclosure, you know, then you're going to have a breach that could give rise to reporting requirements. So, you know, we're advising clients generally uh, to do whatever they can to create a secure uh, messaging, uh, you know, to have information shared. For example, uh, a lot of banks do this. They'll send you an email saying you have a private message you need to log on, uh, and then you go to a secure site and you, and you get to read the message. And, you know, that tends not to be too cumbersome and is a good way to, to just protect those, that kind of messaging. Uh, but, you know, I think a, a goal is to try to, you know, in any context where you're storing or transmitting protected health information, to do it in a secure way, which means in, in an encrypted way, um, in, in everything, in mobile, handheld, um, you know, kind of everything, you know, every way that you communicate and, and those ways are getting bigger, uh, is to have that um, have that security. I think you know with advances in cloud computing, uh, that actually is going to be easier because the individual um, you know molecules, if you will, of information uh, will have all of that. Um, you know, each one will have that that level of protection or can have that level of protection, and so it makes it. it ultimately, I think it will make it a lot easier to to have protected health information just available in the ordinary course. Because business associates now must report breaches to their healthcare partners who are called covered entities, should business associate contracts be updated to add high-tech compliance details? If I, I were a covered entity, I'd want to do that. High-tech allows business associates who are not agents for the covered entities but merely are um, you know, carrying out a function for the covered entity without authority to bind the covered entity, which makes, you know, that's kind of the definition of agent. You know, those business associates have 60 days to report to the covered entity, and uh, business associates who are agents have 60 days to report. Well, that creates something of a catch-22. The 60 days period that applies both to the covered entity and the business associate starts to run right then. And so if a business associate uses the whole 60 days to get back to the covered entity, they're going to be forcing the covered entity to to violate the law I also think that the um, covered entities need to know if there are security incidents related to their business associates, not that there are breaches of information. Because a breach, by definition, means, one, that it was unprotected health information, and two, that it had a, it poses a significant risk of harm to the individual. And as a covered entity, I really don't want my business associates making that determination. Now, you know, there are contrary views here, and some covered entities say, what I don't know won't hurt me. If the business associate makes a decision that a breach didn't occur, and on the basis of that, they they don't notify me as covered entity, then, you know, I don't have to do anything. You know, I think that that's kind of head in the sand and, and ultimately is, is contrary to the intent of high tech. And so, you know, what I'm advising people to do with their business associate agreements is to... Um, is to add provisions that require notification of security incidents as soon as practicable, um, which is really consistent with the, the security rule, which was adopted in 2002, uh, really contains that same kind of uh, obligation, although, uh, frankly, I think it's probably it's ignored more than, than followed, uh, at least in, in, in my practice. It's the business associates are not routinely monitoring data breaches and, 
and security incidents and reporting them to their covered entities. And, um, you know, that, that I think is the thing to put in your business associate agreement that you have that level of protection. Well, thanks, Jerry. We've been talking today with Attorney Jerry Hinckley. This is Howard Anderson of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.